0: Lincolnshire LMC, supporting Lincolnshire's general practices to provide great care. Hello everybody and welcome to um, today's episode of uh, the Lincolnshire LMC Hot Topics podcast. Today we're joined by uh, Kerry um, from the palliative team, St Barnabas, uh, who's going to be talking to us today. Uh, Welcome, it's so nice to have you here Kerry. Thank you. Do you want to just introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your role? Yeah, it's my my name's Kerry Bearum, and I'm nurse consultant with St Barnabas Hospice. You'll recognise me. I'm Dr Lucy Doddington-Boys. I'm a GP, and I work with Lincolnshire LMC. So, um, what we really wanted to talk today about is is about palliative care, about patients, and particularly emergencies. And today's topic is going to be about um, about about bleeding, about terminal hemorrhages. It's a really uh, really important topic. It's something that um, I know Kerry's done a lot of work. Um, with at the moment and there's going to be a series and uh, some more information coming out but particularly today we're going to talk about um, terminal bleeding end of life bleeding so um, just to begin with Kerry could I just ask a little bit about kind of how this came about how what your team and the people you work with why did you decide that you wanted to do some care plans and some information and protocols for um all team members hospital acute setting your own um staff in St Barnabas why why did you think it was important
1: Something that we're really keen on promoting within St Barnabas Hospice and, and um, anybody who works within um, palliative care and especially specialist palliative care where there's complex um, conditions is around that anticipatory care planning. Um, and what's really evident um, is while there are lots of conditions that actually we can anticipate what people's complex needs are um, and the evidence is there where, where we put that that care planning in place um it's better for the person, it's better for their loved ones and the professionals and, and in something as that could be potentially as traumatic as a, a terminal um, bleed at the end of life. Um, this is it's a really key part of that, not just the um, um, medical management of that condition, but the psychosocial and spiritual um, management and support for the, the person and their loved ones.
0: Thank you. And for, for, for those listening, there may be some uh trainee doctors and GP trainees listening or, or colleagues further along in their career and they might be wondering what what do you mean when you say terminal bleed and mm-hmm. um, could you just give us a brief description of of what what that is?
1: Yeah absolutely so terminal hemorrhage um, or the, the I suppose the kind of terminology is end of life bleed um, is devi- defined as a it's a major blood loss that's likely to happen rapidly as a result and result in death Um, due to just sheer loss of circulating volume. Um, Mostly it doesn't happen very often um, but there are certain um, risk factors, um, people who are likely to experience this um, and those are people who might have a head and neck cancer or a fungating lesion. Um, hematological cancers, um, and we do see a lot of that as well with um, esophageal and gastric cancers. That's probably one of the ones that people um, working in um, um, in secondary care might be familiar with. Um, there are lung and bronchial um, hemoptysis, um, liver disease, obviously, because that clearly messes about with your um, coagulation, and Looking at people who are on anticoagulation medications, especially with um, the above named um, risk factors that I've just spoken about.
0: Mm. I mean, the first kind of thing I'm thinking from you listing those is that's a lot of patients that we look after in in primary care. That's that's um, particularly patients with liver disease, anticoagulation, and cancer. So we could be going on home visits to see these individuals, and I suppose it's really kind of great to 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 kind of have that. understanding of what these risk factors are and how we can be spotting so so we could hopefully plan this and and, th- and, and one of the 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 care plan does describe that you can do you think it's possible that you, you can identify these risk factors plan and maybe talk to these patients is that what you'd kind of be wanting how would we open up that conversation so that the patient knows that they might be at risk
1: Yeah definitely and and this is is very often something that's missed and especially where um, there is um, you've got more than one um, care um, team looking after somebody and everybody thinks it's somebody else's um, job to have that conversation and so these really important conversations don't get don't happen and we can't get the care planning in place. But a really good place to start is just opening up that conversation with the person asking them what they understands, what they're what what they're what's happening to them, what what conversations they've had with their consultants in secondary care, um, especially um those conditions like the head and neck cancers or breast cancers with fungating wounds or or like say the uh, hematological cancers they've got specialist nurses often Macmillan nurses as well what conversations have they had and what's their understanding of what what might happen to them Um, a cracking question to always ask is what what's worrying you have you got any questions for me and that that very um, very often opens up a conversation around you know um, they may have one especially people very often get that warning with um um cancers that fungate or where there's um likely infiltration of a, a major vessel. That'll have been something that they've been told is a risk factor but maybe haven't had an opportunity to explore what those risk factors are. Um, and that's a really great opportunity to start having um a conversation with them about their medications what may, might be adding value, what might not be adding value. So thinking again around um, anticoagulants, um, non-steroidals, things that we don't generally think of that can cause um, increased risk of haemorrhage like your SSRIs and anti um, and antiplatelet medications. Um, so it's really looking at um, the person holistically and listening to them about what their concerns are and really working and taking the lead from the person to modify some of the risk factors according to what's worrying them Um, and the key thing is is to remember if you're getting a bit stuck also ask for help we've got the specialist palliative care teams out in the community and we have each area has weekly specialist MDTs, so they are absolutely um, a resource there to to bring these patients so that we can talk about them and support person-centered care planning.
0: Do you think these patients identified as higher risk of a, an end of life bleed Sh- should they or would they normally be under palliative care anyway? Do you think, or would they be under the hospital, or um, is there a kind of is there some that sort of joint up support and care? Do you think at the moment, or is it, is that part and parcel of creating this care plan to try and improve that?
1: Yeah, it's a really great question. That's one of the reasons why we created this plan of care. So I think it's fair to say things are getting better. Um, Certainly through um, initiatives like Project ECHO, where we're um, developing networks of practice across um, organisations where um, specialist areas are able to communicate with each other. Um, I think we are getting better at it, but um, repeatedly we see the same assumptions are being made that one um, that one care team will have already opened up these conversations um, and what we tend to find especially with somebody say somebody like a long I mean let's think about your haematological conditions they're very often a long-term condition um, and or people with head and neck cancers may have been having especially if they're young um, may have had this condition for a very long time and what these really important conversations can kind of get kicked into the long grass um, and it can all happen a bit of a rush um, at, at the end. At the end, And while people are still having relatively active treatment, again, you do tend to find that we're you don't tend to get these referrals through to, to my teams like my own within St. Barnabas because St. Barnabas is often, or hospice care is almost think, thought of as end of life care. And Dr. Jess Weller, who's one of our consultants, says repeatedly, we're, she's a palliative and palliative care doctor, which is about promoting well-being and keeping people as well as possible, not just about end of life care. So that, I think that's the message. These people have a palliative care condition um, that often isn't thought of as requiring a referral to the palliative care team until they're dying. So not, it's not always automatic. Um, and our ambition is that what we do with these plans of care is we work more in tandem with each other. So it might be that somebody doesn't need to be under the care of St Barnabas Hospice, but we can you can you can access our expertise to support these plans of care in place while somebody's relatively stable. So we've got them there that the family and the person can receive the right education and support, um, so that if it is needed, that 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 anticipatory care planning is in place and good to go.
0: Fantastic. So, if, if someone is listening to this podcast and they're from a practice, maybe they're a practice nurse, maybe they're a practice manager or a GP. How would you, um, if how would you explain to them sort of how this care plan fits in? Where would they find it? Um, how would they utilize it? Um, which you know which staff members would you be expecting to use it more?
1: Yeah. So the um the plan is at the moment we we've developed this um, plan of care and this is the other bit that I'm really um, I'm, I'm really. It's really important to kind of um, spread this message. This is this care plan has been co-designed by several organisations. So it's been contributed to by um, the Macmillan nurses within LCHS. Um, it's uh, been contributed and helped been developed by the East Midlands Ambulance Service as well as St Barnabas Hospice. So we've come together to say what is it that we need to know and when. Um, at the moment it's available on, um, it, well it will be available, we've designed it within system one and there will be hyperlinks for the um, health, uh, end of life bleed advice for health and care professionals but also a particular person-centred care plan for the person and their family. Um, so again just to give them reassurance and advice around um who to contact and, um, practical advice, like making sure that they've got dark colored, um, uh, towels and to stay with the person and just stay calm and, 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 um, and comfort their loved ones. So it's, um, a really practical, um, aid memoir, if you like, um, going back to your question, who, who is it there for? It's there for everybody. So it's there for any practitioner, um, and what I would say is, because it works as an aid memoir, if you're a bit stuck, it's a really good place to say, oh, do you know, actually, I might just approach the Macmillan nurses within LCHS or, or um, within St. Barnabas RSMPs or the specialist um, uh, palliative MDTs that we run. So you have an idea of what questions you might want some clarity about uh, and support. Um, so, um, it's there for everybody, works as a um, an aid memoir um, and gives you things to think about prescribing and, and opening up those discussions, um, while also giving you um, pointers when to refer into a, a specialist team.
0: That was certainly the the first thing I thought when i when I first read it, when you first sent it to me, <clears throat> I thought it was really practical and i I learned quite a lot, and it really tr- it really kind of reminded me of of, of things that I, it had been a few years since i'd I'd thought about I did a palliative placement when I was training, and <clears throat> you know some of the things i you know it was just so good to refresh my memory on, even the things you mentioned before about um anticoagulation SSRIs, um inflammatory, you know simple things that that you can do to um try and think about risk and um you mentioned there as well about planning and things like dark towels and um uh you know just having having those conversations and i think the certainly the first thing i thought about is how bra- how practical this this care plan is and suitable for every healthcare professional it's not too wordy it's not it doesn't go on forever you know it it is very practical um so I suppose that's one thing that we wanted to make people aware of, wasn't it? Is that this is it's out there, it's going to be incorporated into system one. It's for all team members to to be able to review and, and utilize.
1: And and I think it's really important that we have these very honest conversations with people because how others die live on in lives on in the memory of those who survive. Um, and by having these really honest conversations, um, there have been times when actually people have chosen to change their preferred place of death at the end of life and have chosen to either come into a hospice setting or be admitted into hospital um, because uh, and that's probably a reason why in general practice and in the community, we don't see this happen very often because it can be quite traumatic, especially with your head and neck cancers. Um, so it's um, that's why we wanted this aid memoir as much to make sure that we've got that plan in place. But also we can have these really honest conversations to support families.
0: Absolutely. And you you did mention before about, you know, the psychological impact and the the um you know, it's significant impacts that this you know potentially can have on on family members for 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 years to come, and um, and and I think you know staff members as well. I'm sure care providers. Is it something that you you think is uh, maybe a, a little bit underestimated sometimes, or, or what what do you think? I think wherever you've
1: got any unexpected trauma, that's going to traumatise, whether that's um, uh, a colleague, a a registered professional or um, a a family member. So, again, having really clear care planning and and, and making sure that we've all had those conversations, that anybody who's involved in the care of these these people with these complex needs um, who are at risk of um, palliative emergencies or in this case, the end of life bleed, to be prepared you kind of to be forewarned is to be forearmed so that that reduces the risk of the trauma Mm post-traumatic trauma happening um and um it i think again one of our reflections working um through project echo is um people expect us as healthcare professionals to have the language um to discuss these really complex um uh plans of care and support people and yet there is a lot of fear because as mentioned right at the beginning of this podcast this is quite a rare um uh, condition and it happens relatively rarely um which means that we're not that familiar with it so that's why it's just about being really honest and yeah. having this aid memoir here to kind of go oh gosh i need to to, yeah. to brush up on this it's there um because when it happens it 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 has a big effect
0: definitely um there's something in here about um in the in the care plan the information for healthcare professionals about bleeding management packs um yeah and I just wanted to ask you a little bit about that there's, it says exactly sort of what should be in a, a sort of the, the pack um who would normally be o- organizing that would that be a, a practice nurse would that be somebody from St Barnabas or is is there some guidance on who who it would be that would implement that? Because that might be a question from somebody listening, or if they've reviewed the document, whose whose responsibility is it? So there are um, of some of the, the medications within
1: the um, uh, pack are prescribable, so they they will require. So in general practice, they would be um, required they'd be required to have a prescription. Mm-hmm. Um, but that again would be um, negotiated really with the. The, identifying who's the best person to lead on putting that package pack together so if the person isn't under the care of the district nurses at that moment in time and that's a conversation that's been initiated and that plan's been put together by the practice nurse the practice nurse might be the best place person to put that together um, again if you've not if it's something that they're familiar with but it might be something that they'll want to speak liaise with um either the um McMillan nurses um who in the community who would be able to coordinate that all within St Barnabas hospice Uh, and I suppose that's the message here we've got an aid memoir Um, nobody is an island we're all there to support each other we all want the best outcomes for um the people in our care so if you're stuck ask for help Um, and the key element the key the key um message in this if the quicker we do this the earlier we do this the um the more time it's you've got to make Build those relationships with the patient, with the other healthcare professionals who will need to likely need to be involved in this person's care in the future. Um, so, um, I say, um, we'll need the GP. The GP will need to prescribe in general practice the things like the medazolam, um, but all the other disposables and bits and pieces could be pulled together by the nurse leading on the person's care.
0: Absolutely. And i would encourage anybody that's listening that's wondering what we mean by a bleeding management pack or or you know what is it what's contained in it it's really clearly displayed in the um in the actual documents so um there's a bit of a list there it does include things like um dark towels dark bed sheets bottled water blankets gloves aprons eye protection um yellow bags um wipes things like that so so do have a look and it's probably something worth maybe having a chat with you know at the practice meeting or um you know like Kerry's saying if you've got any questions the best thing to do is to 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 pick up the phone and ask for some help if you're wondering about whether it might be suitable for a patient um the best thing to do is open up that conversation at the practice and then seek some help um what I really like about um the the care plan that you've created is that there's really clear signposting to where to get advice and where to get support and you've mentioned a few a few different um services and organizations St Barnabas um the PCCC um mm-hmm. the palliative care coordination center um I mean could you just tell us a bit about sort of in terms of access is, is it is it all the time? Is it 24 hour?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, at St Barnabas Hospice, we do offer telephone advice 24 hours a day. Um, and that number is 015 22 511 um, We have um, consultant led care uh, who consultants are on call 24 hours a day. Um, we've also got the um, Palliative Care Coordination Centre where we're able to um, take referrals for all of the palliative care services that provide p- palliative care within Lincolnshire. Um, and um, I can give you that number again, so that number is 0300 020 0694. Um, that's um, seven days a week um, during office hours. Um but yeah if you're if you're stuck twenty-four hours a day, there is um medical advice there as well. Um but the Palliative coordino- Palliative Care Coordination Centre can take those referrals um for ongoing support, specialist palliative care and um district nursing um care in the community as well.
0: Brilliant. Um there's also um, from what I can read as well that bereavement services for, for family members and carers affected if, if they're, you know if, if this does happen, when this happens, there's that, that kind of ongoing support isn't there? I know that's a, a huge part of what um, what's offered.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think that's really key to remember that the care of people um, and the family, within palliative care, we very much talk about person-centred, but with a family focus um, and recognising that um, in a situation like this, um, we need to be made very alive to the fact that people may need bereavement support and counselling afterwards. Um, And we do have a dedicated bereavement helpline um that you can access as well through the palliative care coordination center if need be
0: that sounds really good Um, there's a few other links and things that are on the um on the on the documents which will um make sure that in the podcast we've signposted to where you can find these documents and the end of um, end of life care website's fantastic loads of resources on there as well um so Hopefully you will have a really good read, be able to have a really good read through these care plans, um, you know, have a chat with your colleagues, um, seek advice if you have any questions. um, And thank you for listening today. Um, Terry, it's been wonderful to hear kind of, you know, what you've been doing, what your insights are, what your experience has been of of these patients. Um, There is one other thing I wanted to ask just before we finish, actually. You've mentioned um, a couple of times Projects Echo. Yeah. I wonder if you could just tell our listeners um, a little bit about that and and, um, just give us a bit of background.
1: So Project ECHO um, is a vehicle for delivering um, evidence-based education. Um, It has a push-pull style of learning, where um, the learners actually design the curriculum. um, And then um, within St Barnabas, we are an ECHO hub, and we um, bring in the experts to deliver that curriculum. what i love about echo is it really is about recognizing that within our networks we have so much expertise and so we can learn from each other and create real transformational change by listening to each other and sharing each other's practice and 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 adopting that Um, We're really lucky within Lincolnshire, we have been commissioned to deliver 14 primary care networks um, across Lincolnshire. So if you haven't already signed up to um, an ECHO network, um, please, when you get the call that will come through your neighbourhood lead, and if if you want to know more, if you prod your neighbourhood lead, they will be able to give you the information and signpost you how to get into a network. we, like I say, we we've, we've opened up some really important conversations between secondary and primary care because I think when we understand what each other's positions are, um, we're able to take the theory and actually transform that into meaningful practice for the people in our
0: care. That sounds really really good. Um, who who is it for? So it might seem like an obvious question, but who in primary care might be? Because you know we might have a variety of people listening, thinking, oh that sounds fantastic. It, who, everyone who
1: so within our, pr- our primary care network um project echo networks that we've been commissioned that is for anybody who is involved in care in the community so that will be really we really um value gp input um both as learners but also as as, as experts um uh, district nurses um community physios ot like say st barnabas hospice um uh, we've got a lot of input at the moment from um social prescribers and um community care coordinators so it's again i know in the um, community there's a lot a lot of new roles and this is an, a really useful vehicle for everybody to be cited on each other's roles and using um so the way project echo works is you have a traditional um presentation led by an expert but the real learning comes from the wider discussion that is based around two um case studies that, that are bought so real case studies where we can either share something that went really well or not not so well and read and reflect on what we've learned and what we might do differently
0: Brilliant where can we find out more about project echo um
1: so if you go onto the um uh, lincolnshire end of life website so www.elc.co.uk um there and just it puts into the search bar project echo
0: it will come up brilliant and you're on twitter i think as well
1: yeah sure. you, can find, some you tweets. can find Barnabas echo on twitter absolutely um or equally you can um uh, phone St Barnabas hospice. Um, I haven't, forgive me, I haven't got the number to, to hand, but if, if you just Google St Barnabas uh, on our website as well, Project Echo, we'll, you'll be able to find out more who to contact and speak to.
0: Brilliant. And all the resources that we've talked about today, I will find the links, contact numbers, all that sort of stuff, and I'll put it on on our website so that it's kind of attached to the podcast. And I think you can even, you know, it shows up on your phone or however you listen to your podcast. So you'll have that information uh, we'll sort that out. Wonderful. I mean, it's so interesting to hear, you know, everything that you've you've told us about Kerry today. So thank you so much for your time. And um, uh, if we get any questions through, am I all right to kind of post them my way? Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, Thank you. It's been great.
1: Uh, Thank you very much for having me. Really appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much for listening today. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.